are good apples and bad apples. There's good traffic and bad traffic, and believe it or not, there's good inflation and bad inflation. There's the inflation that you fear because it'll come along with people losing their jobs. That's the bad inflation of the 1980s, the stagflation. On the other hand, if you think back after the financial crisis, the talking points after that were, oh, let's hope we can finally get a little bit inflation and we'll get out of this stagnating environment. So that was hoping for inflation. That was the good inflation. Welcome to The Pie. I'm your host, Tess Viglund. Economists are always talking about the pie, how it grows and shrinks, how it's sliced, who gets the biggest share. In this show, we're talking about the most pressing matters of the day seen through the lens of economics. The Pie is a production of the University of Chicago's Becker Friedman Institute. And in this episode, we're visiting the talk of the economic town these days. Inflation. Awful, awful, awful. Or is it? Sure, nobody wants to pay more for anything, ever. And especially not when prices rise so drastically, so fast. But zoom out a bit, and there are differences in types of inflation and how they affect the overall economy. So says Carolyn Fluger, assistant professor at the Harris School of Public Policy. She's also a faculty research fellow with the National Bureau of Economic Research. And she co-authored a new study that shows no Inflation is not always an economic evil. Carolyn Fluger, welcome to The Pie. Great to be here. So we are in what you would politely call an inflationary environment, uh, otherwise known as bonkers high prices on just about everything. Last year, we soared over 7% inflation. It's come down slightly, but we're still paying way more than we did a little over a year ago before the Fed started jacking up interest rates. So before we get to some of your definitions of good and bad inflation, can you give me a sense of how you would describe where we are right now in April of 2023? Yes. So we've clearly had uh, a lot of inflation. We've had more inflation than most of us ever expected to see in our lifetimes, uh, more than the Fed had expected over the past two decades. And at the same time, however, we're also facing a very strong labor market. The unemployment rate is still at an almost an all-time low. Uh, so it's a very, very unusual combination of things that over the past couple of months, inflation has started to come down a little bit. I would say there's hopes, there are hopes there that inflation will continue its trajectory in that direction. But yeah, it's a very unusual, crazy inflation situation. Um, but at the same time, I would say so far, uh, we're not in a situation where inflation is high and we also have a huge recession at the same time. Right. Although that's been predicted for the last 12, 14 months. So we'll see what happens. All right. So with that background, I, I want to ask you about the concept that not all inflation is created equal. I think the general outlook on inflation, at least in the public, is that any hint of it is foreboding. You know, that certainly is the sense that you get from my colleagues in the media. Inflation, dun, dun, dun. Um, but the argument here is that it's that it's not all the same. That's right. Um, I think it's the argument here is that not all inflationary episodes are created equal. And uh, yes, we we hate inflation. It's it's very disheartening to see when for the same paycheck you can can no longer afford the things you like to buy. 
But at the same time, I would also like to bring us back to the comparison to the 1980s, and you see this comparison a lot. But at the same time, I think there's something that's fundamentally different now compared to the 1980s, which, which is that um, you know, the period back then was not just a period of the great inflation, it was also a period of a very prolonged and deep recession. We're seeing the opposite here at the moment. The recovery after COVID has been much quicker than most people anticipated. And so far, um, unemployment is, is very low. And that's what I mean by good inflation versus bad inflation. You know, there's the inflation that you fear because it'll come along with people losing their jobs. And then there's the that's the bad inflation of the 1980s, the stagflation. Inflation is high, and at the same time, you know, you lose your job. That's really bad. Um, at the, on the other hand, um, if you think back, and it's not that long ago, but after the financial crisis... Of 2008. Of 2008, 2009, exactly. The talking points after that were, oh, let's hope we can finally get a little bit inflation and we'll get out of this stagnating environment. So that was hoping for inflation. That was the good inflation. Okay, so let's talk about some of the key characteristics here. And, and I'm hoping you can give us some examples. You've just talked about the 1980s and 2008. Let's start with, well, well, there's that thing where you, you know, you say, do you want the good news first or the bad news? So what should we start with, good inflation or bad inflation? Maybe let's start with the, the good inflation, because that's, in a way, that's, that's what we've all lived through for a while and what we can remember. Right, right, right. Okay, so explain for us what is behind good inflation. What does that look like? So good inflation is the inflation that happens when output and consumption expand at the same time and unemployment falls. What's behind that? I typically think of that as being demand-driven. Say, imagine everyone wants to, to buy the same goods and they bid up the prices. So that's a good situation, and that's why I would call that good inflation. And what would be an example of that in our history? Do we have one? Yeah, no. I mean, you can think of the... Recovery of demand after the financial crisis, which went along with uh, a slight increase in prices. It was not a big inflation, it was just a fairly small inflation, which is also what, one thing that we generally like. But it was, you know, good news coming along with, with uh, an increase in prices. Okay. And now let's visit bad inflation. What, what does that look like and how does it happen? Yeah, so bad inflation is the sort of inflation where you get high inflation, very persistently high inflation, and at the same time, firms cutting hiring, people losing their jobs, consumption being worse than it, what it used to be. And I think of that as broadly supply-driven. So you could imagine, for example, um, an adverse oil shock that drives up prices, reduces the supply of oil, that might have repercussions for inflation expectations. Now everyone expects inflation. Hmm. And uh, because that makes it more expensive for firms to produce, they, they cut production and raise prices at the same time. That's the sort of supply-driven inflation. And especially if, this, if these supply shocks feed back into um, the, the inflation that people expect and also expect in their wage negotiations, for example, then this can lead to very protracted inflation that lingers around for a long time and uh, goes along with a, an overall weak economy. So then as households, they have the bad thing on both sides. They face high prices and 
uh, potentially lower incomes at the same time. Right. Right. And an example of that in our history, I mean, I assume that would be the oil shock of the 70s. Yeah, you can think of it as the oil shock of the 70s. I don't think that's the only, yeah, that that would, oil shocks would be one example. I think it's a little bit broader than that. Um, Yeah, it just becomes harder to produce things, maybe changes in terms of whether you can hire people easily, immigration or lack thereof. Um, All of that can, can make it more expensive to produce. In your research, you also talk about how this is reflected in both the stock and bond markets. Can you give us um, kind of a rundown of what good inflation looks like with stocks and bonds and bad inflation with stocks and bonds and how, how, how those are determinative factors? I think the great thing about the bond and stock markets is that they are linked to these big macroeconomic developments is inflation and of the bad variety or the good variety. And we can also look at financial markets almost in real time and uh, use them as an, as an indicator. That said, financial markets, of course, matter by themselves. If you have a retirement account, if you have a 401k that's a mixture of bonds and stocks, then uh, the extent that inflation moves these two asset classes in the same direction can be terrible because then you don't have anything to fall your, to, to cushion your, your fall in stocks. But so the main, the main way that I think of good versus bad inflation as entering into bonds and stocks is that uh, A, inflation is bad for bonds, right? If, if I promise you, oh, I'll give you $10 10 years from now, and then inflation goes up, you know, the $10 is just a piece of paper. So inflation clearly matters for how willing I am to, to, to pay for a bond. Now, how does inflation matter for stocks? For a long time, people thought it wasn't gonna, that inflation really shouldn't have any direct impact on stocks. I mean, you know, if you, if you own a car or if you own a house, you know, if the overall sticker price on, I don't know, on your grocery shopping goes up, you know, it really shouldn't matter. But it turns out um, that um, when people looked at this in the 70s and 80s, they found actually that there was a pretty strong correlation with with inflation and stocks, and it went the opposite way from what they expected. So high inflation tended to go along with low stock prices. So if inflation went up, um, your bond portfolio did terribly and your stocks did terribly also. So there was really no place to go. So and then uh, you know in terms of the the what I have worked on in my research is trying to figure out you know how is this related to inflation how is this related to supply shocks and I think it's exactly a um, something that comes out of this bad inflation scenario because if you have supply shocks if you have something like an oil shock that drives up inflation at the same time is terrible news for the economy your stocks are going to fall and your bonds are going to fall at the same time and you get this kind of double bad news in your portfolio. Yeah, triple bad news. Inflation, low bonds, and low stocks. Exactly. Now you can contrast that with the good inflation of the 2000s. Um, Inflation generally going up when there's good economic news. That means that, um, you know, there's good economic news, so your stocks do well. And yes, there's a bit more inflation, so your bonds aren't doing as well. So you, ha- you have this negative correlation between bonds and stocks. So bonds, and f- bonds fall at the same time as stocks are going up. And that means that overall the volatility that you're facing in your long-term portfolio is much less. So in that sense, the good, the good inflation world 
is also a much safer world for uh, long-term investors, which is, you know, anyone who, who has a retirement portfolio. Well, so let's talk uh, again kind of a little bit about our current inflationary environment. Uh, you know, over the last year plus, we've we've actually seen both stock prices fall and bond prices as well. A lot of it due to increased demand, of course, from the pent-up post-pandemic consumer. Uh, but it's also been because of the Fed attempting to tamp down on the runaway job market. So, so where are we? Where have we been over the last year? Good, bad. It sounds like, from what you've described, we're actually leaning toward good, which would surprise a lot of people. That's right. So, 2021, as inflation was going up, I was the ever pessimist and thought, "Oh no, this is going to be terrible. We'll have inflation <laughs> for a very long time." The you know, there were concerns that the Fed was behind the curve. Uh, so I started to look at my good inflation, bad inflation data in bonds and stocks. And to my great surprise, I found that the bond stock correlation was the same it had always been. So it was more, but much more like the good inflation environment of the 2000s than the bad inflation environment of the 1980s. So at first I didn't quite trust what I was doing because, you know, sometimes you get flukes, but I checked and I eventually I became convinced that there was indeed no big stagflation priced into, into bonds and stocks at the time. Then I looked at this, if you look at it in a model, why do we have this very high inflation, which at the same time goes along with a strong labor market, and uh, also it doesn't look like there's big stagflation risk priced into bonds and stocks. I've been coming to the conclusion that the Fed and monetary policy plays a big role in that, exactly like what you're saying. And, uh, you know, of course, monetary policy these days is, is very different from the 1980s. Now, how do you boil that down in, in something that, in, in equations that are hopefully not too complicated? Uh, I think it effectively comes down to uh, interest, the Fed moving interest rates much more cautiously, but then over longer time periods. So in a sense, kind of like forward guidance. And I think that makes a big difference because now when you're hit by a supply shock that drives up inflation, um, you know, we had all these changes in, uh, you know, <laughs> ports being disrupted, immigration being disrupted, all of oil, all these things can drive up inflation like a supply shock. And, um, and I think what's been going on is that the Fed has been raising interest rates, but a lot of it has been going through, well, we'll raise interest rates sufficiently and trust us, we'll do it, but we're not going to do it right away. And if the, uh, if the Fed follows this sort of slow and steady approach, that means that for a moment uh, when inflation goes up, the real interest rate can actually fall. I think that's partly been what's, what's going on, that um, you know, monetary policy has been following a more slow and steady approach, which in the short term can mitigate the recession that would otherwise happen in response to supply shocks. That's also reflected in bond and stock markets. It's really hard to explain any of this to consumers, though, right? Because all they see is prices going up. What's a way to frame it so that they might better understand this concept without having to uh, listen to this podcast every time inflation ticks up? What I find often really allows people to connect to this notion, at least people uh, above the age, above a certain age who have, have a retirement portfolio, is this idea that um, 
your bonds might not protect you from from bad news when there's bad inflation. Whereas if it's the good inflation scenario, uh, at least the bonds will will protect you. And how can we use this framing to think about future inflation? Does it affect predictions about inflation? Can it help investors and even consumers make financial decisions? Yes, for sure. Uh, so there's, I mean, there's there's the question, you know, how long how long is inflation going to be around for? Um, that's I think that is actually kind of much harder to tease out of the data. But I think it, what it can tell you is that um, if you are in the basically if you're in the if you're in the good uh, inflation scenario, bonds and stocks are negatively correlated. It means that for um, for a given for a given amount of risk, you can you can expect a higher return, or basically you can. Uh, the, the optimal portfolio allocation and part of it would tell you that you can um, basically take a higher sh- stock share and still still have moderate risk. Whereas if you're in the bad, in- if you're concerned about bad inflation going forward, then um, you know you may you may have to scale down scale down your stock market risk and thereby scale down your return expectations in, in response. All right. Well, what I'm definitely going to take away from this interview is that uh, we are not in a, uh, what did you say, a doomsday scenario for inflation. I'm very glad to hear that. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I went into this thinking the Fed is is doing it all wrong. But then, you know, working working through the data, working through our models, I, I see actually, I think a very clear motivation emerges for, uh, I think, exactly what the Fed has been doing, which is move slowly and move steadily and uh, yeah keep calm and carry on uh, which which means they you know they follow follow the playbook follow slowly don't make any huge moves <laughs> and I, I think they've been very careful about that i think one aspect that's also really important that plays into uh, expectations of good inflation versus bad inflation is you know what everyone expects the fed to do uh, if certain data comes out. So mm-hmm. do do we expect that if inflation were to go up again, the Fed would uh, raise interest rates sufficiently aggressively? Certainly they're trying to signal that, and that's, that's certainly important. And keeping these ex- sort of expectations um, steady and keeping them around, I think, is actually potentially more important than the individual decision on a couple of basis points today versus in a couple of weeks. Carolyn Fluger, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure. The Pie is a production of the Becker Friedman Institute for Economics at the University of Chicago. If you'd like to keep in touch with the latest economic research from the University of Chicago, you can visit bfi.uchicago.edu slash subscribe. And you can sign up for our newsletter there as well. And of course, you can subscribe to The Pie on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Our theme music was composed by Story Mechanics, production assistance from the BFI communications team. I'm Tess Vigland, your host and executive producer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.